You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Hey, everybody. Remember how uh, we used to talk a lot about abortion? kind of dominated the discussion and a few years ago you stopped hearing so much about abortion and coincidentally that was because democrats were in charge of the house and the senate and won the white house since that kind of moved the whole abortion bait onto the back burner because the republicans weren't running any of the shows well the republicans are running a show now in the house of representatives as i'm sure you all know they are running the show there John Boehner, Speaker of the House. And guess what their top priority is? Not jobs, not the economy, not battling socialism, not exposing Barack Obama as a Kenyan impersonator, not actually our president. No, their top priority, according to Boehner, is the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. Now, it's generally illegal for any tax dollars to be used to pay for abortions, with a couple of exceptions. Rape, incest, the life of the mother. They want to, with this bill, change that so that only forcible rape counts. That only, only if you were forcibly raped, you know, forcible rape, qualified rape, regular old rape, rape, rape doesn't count anymore, just forcible rape. And what this means is an example given at Mother Jones Magazine by Nick Bowenbrook, the story at Mother Jones Magazine, and here's the example he gives, and I'm just going to read for a moment from his blog post. If a 13-year-old girl is impregnated by a 24-year-old adult, she would no longer qualify to have Medicaid pay for abortion because she wasn't forcibly raped. It was just plain old statutory Tennessee, Utah-style rape. Not forcible rape because you can't rape the willing 13-year-old girl. We're going to be hearing a lot more about this, particularly if the Republicans should, God forbid, retake the Senate in a couple of years. But the abortion wars, ladies and gentlemen, are back. You might want to contact your representative in Congress. This this bill has 170-plus co-sponsors, all Republicans, of course. You might want to contact your representative. Let them know that you would like them to vote against the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act because you believe that a 13-year-old girl who's been knocked up by her father was indeed raped. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item plus three adult DVDs plus an extra gift plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a 22-year-old bisexual female. My closest childhood friend is one of the only people who doesn't know that I'm bisexual. We live in different states. And when, like, I'd already come out to all of my friends, and my parents already knew, um, but my friend sort of found out an accident. She um, she heard from a mutual friend or, like, a mutual acquaintance 
that I was bisexual. And when she um, confronted me about it, um, she actually confronted me about it before I was out to my parents. I panicked and told her that I wasn't. And uh, it was a mistake that had sort of gotten back to her on accident. Um, and she asked me if I was sure, and I said that I was, and she believed me. Um, but now it's like a year later, my parents know, my other friends know, though, um, we don't have a lot of mutual friends in common or any way that it would really get back to her, except like it did last time, so I guess it might. But, um, now I'm out and I don't know how to tell her because I kind of, I lost my original opportunity because I kind of lied and denied it because I panicked, um, and so now I don't really know how to go back and tell her that I lied before, which would kind of be a violation of her trust and raise lots of additional issues. But I guess she needs to know because everyone else does, and I don't want her to find out again in some really awful, awkward way. So uh, I guess I'm asking what you think I should do. Why are you so afraid of this person? Well, um... What, what's the, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. You're out to everybody. You're out to your parents. You're out to your friends. This girl... You say she confronted you about your sexuality? Confronted you like you were doing something wrong? Like you'd stolen something? You need to take a posture because. of fuck her and just tell her and not apologize for all this drama. You were a baby by. You were just coming out. You didn't do everything perfectly, and if she has a problem with it, fuck her. Yeah. I, um, like, well, when she talked to me about it, she was, she was angry that I had sort of, like, I had, uh, told one of our friends, but I hadn't told her, because we've been, um, we've been best friends since high school, but, um, when I went off to college, which is sort of when I figured out that I was bisexual, um, we'd grown apart some, but we sort of reconnected over the summer, um, but I still felt like I was still the person around her that I'd been in high school, and I wasn't sure how to tell her about this part of myself, and I also wasn't really out when she found out. Uh-huh. And uh, so I just, I panicked, and I told her that it was just something I thought that I was going through, but it, I was wrong. Okay, well, she, you can't allow her to play, to, you know, to do that jujitsu where, you know, the aggrieved straight friend tries to make your coming out all about their feelings. You just have to say to her, look, I didn't handle this perfectly. I was really nervous because I'd known you for so long. And I I fumbled it. And I'm sorry, but let's drop it now. All right? I am by. And and you should tell her. You should pay her this little compliment. You should tell her sometimes it's harder to come out to people that you've known for a long time and whose presence in your life you really value. Because the stakes are higher. If you lose that kind of friend, that kind of friendship, you've really lost something. So often... When, you know, gay, lesbian, bi folks are coming out, we handle it most ineptly with people we care about most because there's more at stake. Yeah. So she's she had- kind of the only friend I kept in high school when uh, I was going through some other stuff. And every almost all of my other friends dropped me and she didn't. And it's just been kind of scary to think that I might lose her from my life because of this. Okay, but if you lose her from your life because of this, you're well rid of her. Yeah, that's true. You have other friends, you have family, she's not a a daily part of your life anymore, and if she can't empathize, if she can't see 
past her own issues and past her own, you know, imagined or magnified wrongs to this really being about you and what you were going through and a hugely consequential stage of your life where you were under a lot of pressure and it was really fraught. And of course, you're not going to do every goddamn last thing personally. She can't see all that and forgive you and be your friend and drop it. Then fuck her. Yeah, that's a good point. Fuck her is always a good point. We make that point constantly here on the podcast. <laughs> it's, right? it's a good one. And you can play this call for her. You can send her a link to the podcast. And if she has issues with me telling you to fuck her, then she can call me up. And I will hold her hand to walk her through why she's being such a twat. Okay. All right? I think I can do that. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Uh, hi, Dan. I have been in a poly relationship for two years. My partner and I, having recognized that neither of us was any good at monogamy and deciding to try a more open, more honest approach. Uh, and that's worked well, for the most part. Um, in terms of other people, we have a slightly different approach to acquiring and interacting with new partners. I move very slowly. I make friends. I make sure the other potential person is polypositive, and then if everything's well and things are going good, I move forward. My partner hooks up with whoever, and that's really cool and impressive, but somewhat indiscriminate. Uh, when the hookup turns out to be a monogamist, and it's a one-nighter, no big deal. When it develops into a relationship, it gets kind of hanky. Um, if that relationship can only survive with some sort of a fantasy bubble, um, not actually recognizing the existence of a boyfriend or, you know, the poly nature of things, that strikes me as dishonest. It bugs me a little bit. But uh, this is a deal-breaker for me because, uh, quite selfishly, I'm not the one who eventually has a broken heart, but I'm interested in your opinion. So you guys are no good at monogamy, and now it sounds like you're not that much better at polyamory. Or you are. You're doing everything right. You're being ethical. And she's breaking hearts, plural. There's been a string of them. You know, I recently wrote in Savage Love that if you're, you know, you're a couple in an open relationship or you're poly and all of the people you get involved with wind up being hurt, then you're doing it wrong. So I think your girlfriend is doing it wrong. You know, if, you, if you're if you out there and it's a sleazy one-night stand, people who have sleazy one-night stands really can't expect that the you know everyone that they have a sleazy one-night stand with is open to or available to them as potential life partners. That's an unrealistic expectation. So if she just wants to have a sleazy one-night stand with some guy she picked up in a bar who has no reasonable expectation of it being anything more necessarily, and you're okay with that, I'm okay with that. But creating a bubble where she dates these guys and becomes romantically attached and there's some suspension of disbelief around your existence that she encourages and then the guys end up getting hurt when it all comes crashing down and it ends one right after another, that be wrong. And that needs to stop. If she wants to view herself as an ethical upstanding, good public face for open and poly relationships. That needs to stop. If she doesn't care that she's a cunt who's hurting people, serially, 
serially, that's a hard word to say when you're gay, you have a lisp and a mouthful of cum, but serially hurting people, then she can keep doing what she's doing. You know, the question is for you, do you want to be, you know, complicit in these hurts? I wouldn't want to be complicit in that kind of behavior. I wouldn't want to be someone's accomplice as they stomped on hearts one right after another like that. But that's just me. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is New York Times bestseller, America by Heart, Reflections on Family, Faith, and Flag by Sarah Palin, narrated by Sarah Palin. Here's what I'm thinking. This is for the BDSM crowd. So you're doing sensory deprivation. You've got somebody all tied up, strapped down. You're going to put some earphones on them and just like block out the world and really make them suffer. Here you go. Seven hours and nine minutes of Sarah Palin reading Sarah Palin. You know, they say the the brain is the biggest sex organ, but you can't get tit clamps on a brain until now. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Um, first of all, I just wanted to start off by saying that you're completely awesome. Um, you probably be happy to know that you're one of the reasons I left the Mormon church. Anyway, um, I'm calling for several reasons. Um, first of all, I'll give some background. I'm 17. I'm in my second year of college, and I was raised Mormon. Um which kind of sucked me over sexually. Um, I just had a lot of trouble coming to terms with the fact that, like, I'm a very, very sexual person, and I just, you know, because of the way I was raised, it's always kind of been, like, something that's bad. And um, so I guess, first of all, my first question is, um, like, when I when I meet a guy, I have trouble talking to him unless I've kind of than the whole, you know, what they call friend zoning thing. Um, it's not until I've decided to think of them as only a friend that I can really start talking to them and get, let them get to know my personality and stuff. And so it's not until then that they start liking me. But then I don't like them sexually anymore, and I can't imagine doing anything sexual with them. So, it, you know, it makes things hard because there are these guys who I would totally do, but... I can't even, I don't know, I, I have like a weird mental thing about it. And so if you have any advice on that, it would be great. So yeah, um, also, this is kind of related, but, you know, probably because of the whole Mormon thing, I've been, you know, I have trouble with the idea of just losing my, my virginity to some random dude. Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't have to be a guy I'm in a committed relationship with or whatever, but, you know, I, I don't want it to be like some random douchebag who's just, you know, trying to get me drunk or whatever. So if you have any advice on that, that would be great too. I appreciate that you're a very sexual person. Um, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to undermine that self-conception of yours as a sexual person. I just want to point out that there's a behavior pattern here that you've, that you're engaging in uh, that's preventing you from really having hooking up with anybody. And perhaps at 17 and still living at home, that's appropriate. It, it may be that your brain is, creating this obstacle course for your twat because it you're not ready for sex. Uh, and it's fine to think of yourself as a sexual person. 
and anticipate a you know wonderfully expansive and terrific and adventurous sex life coming your way and just acknowledge it. But right now you're not ready. Right now you don't want to. Right now you just want to think of about sex, masturbate, uh, fantasize, and meet people and interact with them, but not take it any further. Because what's going on here is you're you know you say that it takes a long time to warm up to men. You want to be friends first. Uh, before you can develop a sexual interest, but by the time that happens and they develop a sexual interest in you, you lose all sexual interest in them. What that tells me when I hear people say that sort of thing is that they are afraid of or not ready for sex. So why don't you just say that? You're a, a sexual person and a virgin. Someday you will be ready to begin your adult sexual life, but right now you're really not ready. So right now you're just hanging out, talking to guys, meeting guys, uh, and living your life. And when the right guy comes along, maybe you'll be ready. Maybe you'll know. Now, on the other question, you know, how do you prevent yourself from losing it to a douchebag? You know, there are people who wake up after 40 years of marriage and realize they married a douchebag. There are no guarantees. You can meet somebody and have a one-night stand and that person can turn out to be the love of your life and a wonderful human being because there's lots of wonderful human beings out there who have one-night stands. Or you can meet somebody and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and put it off, put it off, put it off because you're not sure that they're right for you or they're not a douchebag. You want evidence. You want proof. They really have to demonstrate good character before you reward them with your virginity. And then after jumping through all those hoops, you have sex with them and you start dating them more seriously. You move in and three months later, you realize that they're a douchebag. So you really just have to learn to trust your gut. And also accept that you may make a mistake. You may make the wrong call. People do every day. You may wind up in bed with the wrong person. And that's okay. Even if you lose your virginity to a douchebag, you won't be the first person. You won't be the last person to have done so. And it doesn't make you a bad person necessarily. If you learned something from it, if the sex was enjoyable enough for first time and you learned something from it, even if what you learned was – to hone your bullshit detectors, even if what you learned was how to spot a douchebag with a little more accuracy going forward, that was perhaps worth it, perhaps valuable. Don't put too much importance on the loss of virginity and the first person you lose your virginity to because you just build up expectations to, to such a degree that you can't then help but be disappointed by what goes down that first time. Good luck. Make this Valentine's Day one you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. With every order, you'll receive Adam and Eve's free romance kit. The romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something you'll both enjoy. Plus, a free adult DVD. They're also throwing in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer, good through February 14th only. Just enter offer code SAVAGE. That's SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 21-year-old girl from Canada, and I'm currently dating another girl. It's been long distance for about four and a half months, and she's coming home soon. But we Skype a lot. We talk about MSN. But she's kind of a bitch sometimes and says rude things and tries to make me jealous. And I'm not sure if she's insecure or it's because it's the first relationship with a girl and she doesn't know what to say. I mean, 
on Skype, she's really nice, but then on MSN, she comes out kind of rude or, and then we'll apologize later and say that she's like, she doesn't know why she's like that to me. And I don't really understand what is the deal. Um, I feel like she's like immature and she'll say like things like, um, like eat it bitch and stuff like that, which I don't really understand why you would say that to someone that you potentially liked or dated for that matter. Anyways, before I start rambling, I just want to know what do I do? And this is not normal, right? I can think of lots of contexts in which someone might say eat it bitch to someone that they liked and were in a relationship with. I can remember contexts in which I believe I've said those exact words uh, to someone. What's going on here, though, is she's saying it to you and you don't like it. It doesn't sound like five months, long distance. doesn't sound like you have much invested in this relationship, and it doesn't sound like you're getting much out of it, except grief and drama from somebody who doesn't know why they're behaving in such a douchey way. So perhaps you should break up with her if it bothers you that much. And it sounds like it does. And generally, people who abuse you from afar and online that you're dating, once they are with you in the room or they move back to town or you're with them all the time, it doesn't stop then. It usually gets worse. And someone who doesn't have a handle on their own behavior and doesn't understand why they treat their partners poorly or are assholes on IM or Skype, they need to go off by themselves and do some thinking and reflecting on the kind of person they are and the, the way that they treat the, the girlfriends or boyfriends who've dumped them because they're not going to put up with that kind of bullshit left field abusive behavior for no reason. So I think you should dump the motherfucker already. Hi, Dan. Um, I just had a quick uh, question. Um, I'm a university student and I guess um, like a lot of other students, like all my expenses are sort of kind of piling up on me and rent and food and transportation and textbooks and tuition and everything. Um, my parents, like, I'm not really from, like, a wealthy family, and on top of everything, my dad lost his job and just, I don't know, yes, they're also paying for my sister's education and they're helping out my grandparents and what, uh, anyways, basically I'm just sort of in a really, like, tight situation, and I don't know, like, you look at Craigslist, and there's all these ads that are promising, like, you know, compensation and mutually benefiting relationships and, you know, all these, all these things, and I'm thinking, like, I mean, I've never thought about anything like this before, but I'm like, maybe I could do over the summer, like, a few of these things, or, like, find, like, I don't know, I was thinking maybe I could find one nice guy out of all of them, like, hopefully some guy who's not crazy and, you know, Craigslist killer kind of guy, and meet up with him, you know, on a regular kind of basis, and I don't know, like, it's, even saying it out loud, it doesn't sound like something, like, it doesn't sound like something I would normally consider, but... It just seems like it's such a quick and easy way to make so much more money than I would be able to working my minimum wage job. Anyways, I just wanted your advice about whether I should just not think about this, whether I should forget about this idea, um, or if I, sh- if I were to consider doing this, how I should go about doing it safely and 
I mean, what the best way that you would think that someone would go about doing something like that. So really two questions here. Should you do this? Should you enter into a sugar baby, sugar daddy arrangement? And there are websites that can facilitate that sort of connection where you can literally name your price and then guys who can pay your price will look at your pictures, read your profile, decide if you're worth it. Um, it's prostitution. It's illegal. Uh, there are potential negative consequences, including winding up in the same room with a nut at the very least, you're going to wind up in the same room with someone who is paying a lot of money for your time and feels entitled to dictate terms to you about how you're going to spend time together. Some people find that kind of emotionally and spiritually shredding and aren't cut out for that kind of work. Uh, you really do need to be able to compartmentalize your feelings and preserve your own private emotional and sexual space even as you're allowing someone else to access you uh, sexually, emotionally, socially, uh, for money, uh, the bar is set pretty high. You know, a lot of people look at prostitution or look at romanticized, idealized portraits of prostitution or stories that are, you know, more titillating than accurate and leave with an impression that it's, it's something that, hey, they could perhaps see themselves doing and, and jump into it. You know, I had a, a friend, a male friend who thought that and did, and, you know, put out, hung out his shingle and saw a couple guys, a gay guy, and he was not into it afterwards. It was nothing like what he thought it would be like. Uh, and he jumped right back out of that pool. And you may have the same experience. I'm pro-sex work, pro-sex workers, pro-prostitution. I think it should be legal. I think the you know it would be less harmful to people who were involved in prostitution if they could go to the police or could go to health workers. Uh, you know, People would be less likely to be preyed on by pimps and johns if – uh, prostitution were safe, legal, regulated, and the state was on the side of abused prostitutes and not also persecuting them along with abusive pimps and johns. All that said, you know, a lot of people pay for college. A lot of people get involved in particularly sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships where you're not seeing a million clients, just one. Uh, and find it to be everything that you're hoping it would be. But I can't guarantee that outcome for you. It could end up being a, a very negative experience for you. Unfortunately, the only way for you to find out if it's going to be a positive or a negative experience for you is for you to go and do it. And I'm not comfortable saying, yeah, go and do it. And then, then we'll see. Then you can give us a call in a year and tell us whether it destroyed your life or not. So all that said, it's really – it's a choice you have to make and you can dip a toe in and you can talk to a few guys and you can see if it's something that you want to risk and if the reward is worth those risks. How to do it safely? Well, I would encourage you to get online. There are sex worker blogs. There's a lot of really interesting sex worker writing that's been done about the profession and how to do it safely. At the very least, if you're looking for a private arrangement where it's just you and one other guy and there's a financial exchange uh, you know, for your company, all the same rules apply uh, that apply in internet dating or you know, internet-facilitated kinkster hookups, meet in public. You got to know their real name, real phone number, real place of employment. Uh, the, again, the first meeting in public, let somebody know where you're going and who you're with at all times. And really suss that person out and get a feel for them before you go anywhere with them alone. 
And if it's a sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship, which is about companionship often and not just about sex and not just about sex for money, but the girlfriend experience for money, you could in that kind of arrangement ask for before the you know meter starts running for your own safety, for your own security, ask for you know, invest a little bit of your time gratis. Say, let's go, we'll meet, we'll meet out, we'll go have dinner, we'll go to a movie. Let's like hang out a couple of times before uh, we sign anything, before we ink a deal. Let's just hang out a couple of times because I don't want to do this if I don't have a good feel for you and you don't want to do this if you don't have a good feel for me. So let's hang out and then you'll see. All that said, you might want to listen to this next call. Hey, Dan, I need some help. It's actually for my friend. I'm usually really good at giving advice and, you know, making my friends feel better, but one of my best friends got herself into a situation that I can't even imagine what I could possibly say to her or anything. She's been calling me hysterically crying almost every day. She wants to kill herself. Um, What happened was she started on Sugar Daddy websites. And she would, you know, date older creepy men and have sex with them for money. And she got frustrated with how to get attached to her. And she uh, joined an escort agency and ended up uh, getting busted. You know, my friend, she's in a top 25 school. She has a 3.8 average. She is so smart. And... Just, she's an amazing person, but she's just obviously a little screwed up. Now, the legally, everything's getting wiped out, but she's all over the internet, and she just thinks that's the end of her life. And, I mean, I don't really know, like, how, you know, like, if it is, I mean, like, what, she thinks she's, like, destined to be a prostitute for the rest of her life, and I just, I think that's insane and probably wrong, and and. I don't know know what to say. Wow. I'm really sorry for your friend. Uh, And it sucks what she's going through. What you need to tell her is, you know, it's situations like her that having your name changed legally, uh, we're kind of designed for. She can change her name. She can move to a new place. She can start over. She can really leave this behind her. I would also encourage you to run out and buy, and I'm not being glib here, The Intimate Adventures of a London Call Girl, which was published in 2005, and The Further Adventures of a London Call Girl, published in 2006. Both of these short memoirs grew out of a sex blog called Belle Du Jour, Diary of a London Call Girl. And there was speculation for years that this, you know, this blog about a high-end London call girl was being written by a man, or it was fictitious, or it was bullshit, or, you know, who was this anonymous writer? Um who wrote this deeply informed, very funny, uh, insightful, uh, sex-positive blog about being a a sex worker and a a prostitute and being part of an escort agency. And it came out in November of 2009 that it was a real person and she had done real sex work. Her name is Brooke Manenti. I'm probably mispronouncing her last name. M-A-G-N-A-N-T-I. And it turned out that she was a research scientist and a writer and... She had gotten her PhD. She's an American girl. She was studying in the in UK, and she, where she was getting her PhD, and she did get her PhD. And she's a, a, a respected research scientist now, respected in her field, and everybody knows that she put herself through university partly by doing sex work. 
And so there is life after sex work, even for folks who've been exposed. Uh, Brooke stepped forward and exposed herself, in a manner of speaking. You need to encourage your friend to think positively and look to a future where this isn't going to you know, feel as scalding or humiliating as it feels right now at this moment. And she can look to the experience, really, and kind of the role modeling of Brooke Mignenti as she plots her future course. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 26-year-old straight male from Chicago. Um, I'm actually calling with two questions. Um, one of them is that I became single kind of at the uh, end of last year and was dating around and having a good time and enjoying the city and uh, dating a few people and, you know, uh, telling them when it came up that it wasn't exclusive and that they should feel free to see other people. And one of them didn't really take that to heart and kind of started thinking that I was becoming or was going to become her boyfriend. And I didn't intend that. And I tried to make it clear that I didn't intend that. But uh, so recently she kind of blew up on me and was uh, freaking out. And we had a fight and I said some nasty shit to her. And uh, we've been pretty uh, awful to each other since. Uh, I guess, but going back and forth between, oh, I'm still really into you, and, um, oh, I'm still really inside of a bunch of other people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's actually kind of making me miserable, and uh, all the other people I'm seeing are uh, really awesome and, and, you know, cute and great in bed and all that good stuff and cool with the situation. Um, but I find myself really falling for the one that's making me miserable. Uh, some of my friends have told me that I should commit to this girl and kind of settle down a little bit and see where it goes because I'm um, falling in love with her and that's more valuable than sleeping around. Um, and some people are saying I should just leave her the fuck alone because this is a whole bunch of crazy. I'm sure I speak for all of your exhausted friends when I say, like, shit or get off her face. Pick one. One not being one girl over another girl. One being your freedom to fuck as many girls as you want all those other girls you're inside or being with this girl that you say you're falling in love with who wants a, a monogamous relationship. This girl, you will have to sacrifice those girls for. Are you willing to make that sacrifice for love? Then make that sacrifice. If you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then shut the fuck up and break up with the girl who wants what you don't want or wants what you're not able to give and go fuck all those other girls until Another girl comes along who you will feel as strongly about as you feel about this girl right now. And you, and it will. There's no one out there. There's lots of ones out there. And hopefully when the next one that you feel as strongly about as you feel about this one comes along, you guys will be more sexually compatible. She won't care that you're fucking other girls and you won't care that she's fucking other guys. And you can have a lovely open relationship or polyamorous relationship together. But you have to pick – Set her free, why don't you, babe? Or set them free, why don't you, babe? But really, stop hemming and hawing and stop wringing your hands. That gets annoying, particularly to your friends who might not be getting laid as much as you're getting laid. Can you imagine how your friends who aren't having the luck that you're having feel when they listen to you bitch about this girl that you feel strongly about and all those other girls that you're fucking the shit out of? Oh, my God. Just pick. Pick, pick, pick. And don't bother me anymore. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to podcast 223. 
um, about the girl whose friend is dating a violinist whose teacher is telling him not to have sex. Um, I've been a violinist for almost 20 years, and I um, got one of my degrees in violin. And I can say that depending on how good this kid is or how deep his relationship with his teacher is, there's kind of a different relationship that one has with someone in, in a teacher role um, than one has with a confidant, even though we obviously have a close bond. The friend said it was sort of like a father-son relationship. Um, I had a really close kind of grandfathery bond with my primary professor in my studio. And, um, but if he were to have said something to me, like he didn't think I should have gotten married when I got married or something like that, I would have been surprised that he had stepped over the professional boundary. But I have to say that I would have definitely thought long and hard about it because every week you come in and this person critiques you in a very intimate way um, in terms of making art. And um, you make art, they tell you that you suck at it, <laughs> and then they tell you how to get better at it. And that's a really distinct relationship. And you tend to start listening really hard to what they have to say because they're telling you how to become evocative and virtuosic and proficient and emotional and intriguing and it applies to more than just playing the instrument and when they say you should get more sleep you do and when they say you should not sleep in order to practice you do and when they say don't drink you do and all of that and I could really understand why when they said if they said you shouldn't have sex right now it sounds ridiculous but I could understand why you would listen to that um, so although I think that he should have sex if he wants to have sex, um, that relationship with the teacher definitely has a little more control over some people's psyches than I think is always obvious to everyone else. Hi, Dan. I just wanted to call and thank you for your advice to the guilty dumper in episode 223. You nailed it. My ex-wife divorced me in the worst, most emotionally destructive way. Since we live abroad, the whole ordeal almost got me deported, too. Uh, she started feeling guilty not long after, and until recently didn't give up trying to stay in touch, wanted to have a dialogue. It was obviously she, she just wanted her ego stroked and was ignoring what I told her, that her overtures were just making it harder for me to get over her, not easier. Uh, I think I finally convinced her to shut the fuck up and get on with her life. That's what I've been doing, and that's what your caller's dumped ex-boyfriend needs to do, too. And he can't if she's flopping around acting guilty and trying to get him to make her feel better. I hope she's only calling you and not him. Thank you all very much for your calls and your questions. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Before we go, a quick word about the impending bullshit love and romance holiday known as Valentine's Day. Love is lovely. I love love. I love my husband. I love my musicals. I love lots of things. Here's what you don't do on Valentine's Day. I say this every year. I'm just going to get out of the way really quickly. Fuck first. Don't make the mistake of going out to some bullshit meal and drinking a lot of wine. And, uh, you know, w wine makes it difficult for guys to get hard-ons. People get tired has a narcotic effect and then going home being disappointed because there wasn't fireworks after 
filling your gut with rich chow and booze, there's not going to be fireworks. So my advice for everyone on Valentine's Day is always fuck if you're going to participate in the restaurant industrial chocolate flower complex on Valentine's Day. Fuck first. Dinner reservations at 9. Go late. It's easier to get the reservations late. Go late after everybody who made the mistake of having dinner and then going home to fuck have, have all gone home to fail at fucking. You guys, if you're smart, you will fuck at 7 and go out to dinner at 10. And you will win because you will have fucked first. And then the, the dinner will be to celebrate the romance and the sex that already exists instead of to thwart it, which is kind of how it works. So, ladies and gentlemen, savage love listeners always know the ones who are stupid enough to participate in the Valentine's Day bullshit. They know what they know to fuck first, eat second. Happy Valentine's Day. All right. 206-201-2720. That's the number here at the podcast. Give us a call. Me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with an installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.